It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. That's right. Welcome back to the show. Your buddy Dark Fox here with you. Good grief. Woo! Second one out of the bag here. Episode 16 of Marco Radio Goes Nitro, December 18, 1995. Augusta Richmond County Civic Center, Augusta, Georgia. Hosted by Eric Bischoff, Five the Brain, Heenan, Steve, Mongo McMichael. Dark matches this week. Zodiac goes over Inferno, Bad Beats, DDP... Again, to retain the TV championship off the air again. Jesus. Blue Bloods. Jesus Christ, this looks like last week's. Give me a second. Let me check my fucking producer's work. Doing a live check of the producer's work. Are we paying attention at home, kids? I feel like I've got to fire this guy. Hold on. Let's see here. December 18, Monday Nitro. Well, holy shit. You were right. Did you get last week's did you get last week's script wrong or is it literally the same night? Good grief. It's a fucking with the exception of the disco match. Jesus Christ. With the exception of the disco match, it's pretty much the same goddamn fucking dark matches again. I'd be pissed. If I was paying to see these things, I'd be I guess you didn't see it. If you weren't there, you didn't see it, right? That's the full point of a dark match. Oh fuck's sakes. The Blue Bloods this time, Earl Robert Eaton, Lord Steven Regal, defeat Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. Now, here's the thing. As the show gets on the air, we're treated to something that we've been waiting for for a while on this show. The start of the war. We're officially at... Wait, what? Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that when Medusa throws the WWF Women's Championship belt in the garbage live on the air... That is not how the war starts? But how the fuck does the war start if that's not how you start? What? Wait a minute. The war doesn't actually start until Scott Hall declares war against himself? What the? Yep. It's true, folks. Jesus Christ. We get the Medusa title in the garbage promo. The infamous Medusa throws out the title. The thing... That Vince was so scared that fucking Bret Hart would go and do the very next night that he concocted the whole screw job, which is something maybe we'll talk about when Bret makes his debut on Nitro. Maybe not. We'll see. Maybe we'll save that for like a Q&A show because I've gotten a couple of emails asking as a Canadian what my impression of Stu Hart is. So maybe we'll save it for then. God, that'll, I'm sure that'll get me ostracized as a Canadian. Anyways, we get the Medusa title in the garbage promo. But we're not officially at war. Apparently, this wasn't a declaration of war. I'm not sure what would be if this isn't it, but according to Bischoff's books and his 83 Weeks podcast, we are not at war until Scott Hall declares war against the WCW as a WCW wrestler. Oh, Jesus fucking... We're coming for you, nigga! Oh. Only in wrestling, folks. Only in wrestling 
would that be how things make sense? All right. Anyways, after Medusa gets off the stage, um, Mongo calls for some backup because apparently he's not big enough. He, so he calls uh, Fridge Perry out to act as security. Now, don't worry. He'll come out later and trip over some fucking guy, which will be awesome. But, you know, for now, he's just going to stand there and look fat menacing. Now, Nitro's starting to run the whole five, ten minutes over gimmick, which would continue until Nitro moves on to the two-hour format. So I'll stop drawing attention to it being running late unless it's, like, running really late. All right? Now... All of that being said, I, um, I'm at a loss, if I'm honest, on how all this shenanigans is all going to work out. But don't worry. We're going to get there together. We'll, 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 we'll keep each other company as we go through this bullshit. All right. All right. Matches on the air. Ric Flair goes over on Eddie Guerrero in 7 minutes 36. I gave it 3 out of 5. It was a good match. Last week in the main event, Rick is. This week, he's putting over new meat. Whatever. Guerrero gets zero entrance, but the Hogan cosplayer is back for the hard cam, which is awesome. Flair slaps the figure of four on Eddie while Brain quips not once, not twice, but four times. I quit and tap out Amigo. Now the 90s, the 90s, they were a different time. Eddie passes out from the pain. Flair gets the W. Arn runs in for the post-match promo. Gene gives Arn shit for, and Rick shit for continuing to beat up on poor little Eddie while Brain continues to be racist. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yes, Mean Gene is in the ring now with Arn and Rick, recapping last week's pile driver to Orndorff. Sullivan and Hart come out on cue. Apparently, Sullivan was given back limited booking powers for mid-card programs like we discussed on the last episode. So this is a Flair Sullivan brainchild. Now, before this gets rolling... Flair came from a time before cameras were everywhere. He's an awesome promo. I'm not bitching on his promo, but he's always had a little bit of trouble knowing where to turn for the hard camera because you can't really have conversations sideways. So to his defense, he's trying to keep a kayfabe by having a conversation face-to-face with Sullivan. The unfortunate thing is that he keeps turning his back, literally turning his back to the hard cam, while doing this. So you can't see the emotion on his face. All you see is his purple tights and his ass. Which, whatever. I'm sure my grandma couldn't give two shits. She's got a bit of a hard on for flair. But, you know, for the fans that are straight. And don't want to see that tired old ass. It's a little bit irritating. Anyways. Despite Gene's best efforts. Flair turns his back to the hard cam. To respond to Sullivan's Pillman ultimatum. By first saying, hey, no problem. Meaning that the horseman will keep Pillman in line. But Arn actually did pay attention to this program and warned Sullivan that if the dungeon come for Pillman, the whole stable of the horsemen would come after the dungeon. To which Flair finally got on board. Like, oops. But he covered for it reasonably well by basically moving from being next to Sullivan to moving to being next to Arn. And it was the whole point of this is to set up a feud between the stables to prop up the mid card because it's been suffering lately. And if they're going to make that two-hour transition, the mid card needs to be picked up a little bit so after the break craig pitbull pitman comes out in his marine getup to request the brain be his manager now there's a big fight backstage because pitman was actually a drill sergeant in the marines 
the outfit they got for him had regimental rank on it, insignias all over the place, legit medals. He doesn't know where they got it from, but it pissed him off. He did not want to be accused of stolen valor. And if you've ever heard a Marine talk, you will understand that Marines in particular do not fuck around with stolen valor. So he basically stripped it down to just rank patches on the arms and completely faked out medals that mean nothing. Now, you will, I'm sure, if you read too much of the internet, as I often am accused of doing, run into a place where they assume that the medals are real. But here's the problem. Craig Pittman isn't old enough to have earned World War II medals, you fucking marks. Jesus. You are a big mark. Anyways, so Brain turns him down, but he says he'll put him onto somebody that'll help him. Pittman issues some sort of veiled threat. I don't know where the fridge was, but he wasn't there to stop Pittman from doing that. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to throw out the black stuff there, all right? I'm just going to leave that alone. We're coming for you, nigga! Thank you, producer. Jesus, you're going to get us kicked off of fucking YouTube doing shit like that. All right. After that, Lex Luger defeats Marcus Alexander Bagwell. You have Jimmy Hart with Luger. You got Scotty Riggs with Bagwell. Match went 308. I gave it three out of five. Bagwell showed up for Luger, showed up and worked for Luger from start to finish. If Luger actually knew how to wrestle, he probably would have stiffed him though, because Bagwell was wrestling circles around him. Now he made him look good in some ways, but in other ways he was just so fucking over. And yes, technically these are both heels, but strictly speaking, the American males were supposed to be an actual. No, 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 that wasn't. I'm, I swear to God, I'm going to fucking pistol whip you. I am. Turn it down. Turn it down. We're going to get kicked off of fucking YouTube for having the fucking American Males theme on. All right. Thank you. Aces. Anyways, Bagel was wrestling circles around him. And the weird thing was that it was kind of making look Luger look good and bad. Some of it was making him look good because he was selling and bumping the shit out of it to make Luger look extra strong. But some of it was he was just so good that the fans were popping huge for everything that Bagwell did. Like, I mean, everything that Bagwell... A high back body drop? Pop. Bagwell does his little arm pump thing? Pop. Like, and, and Luger couldn't get a fucking crowd reaction if he'd thrown $100 bills into the audience. It was... it was. If Luger actually knew how to wrestle, he probably would have stiffed him a couple times to get him to slow down. But anyways, post-match, Gene meets Luger and Hart on the ramp. Uh, looks like they're going to throw to some sort of recap package of him and Savage if Luger can't get his win back. But let's be honest, because Bagwell carried him through most of the match, he's actually not that blown up. And he does a very good job of getting his promo out and uh, doesn't flub his lines as bad as he did last week. So kudos to you, sir. Now, after that, we go to the commercial. We get a Saturday night promo, followed by Sting going over on Earl Robert Eaton. Now, oh, sorry. Robert Eaton comes down to the ring with Jeeves. This is a new thing that's been happening on Saturday night that you're getting to see now on Nitro. Now, the funny thing is with Saturday night, it is very camp. It is very 80s wrestling, whereas Nitro is supposedly starting to get the feeling of a quote-unquote reality TV show. That's arguable, I'm sure. Most of us agree that's arguable, but whatever. Now, Earl Robert Eaton's gimmick is really clowny and over the top. I mean, I know he's supposed to look like a British fop, and that's fine, um, I'm not a huge, I, I'm not a huge fan of the gimmick, but I am a fan of Rob, Bobby Eaton. Um, this gimmick is way over the top, Be- not just because it's a far cry from midnight, but because it was 
just really bad. And the fucked up thing was that the, it was so bad that it was good. Like the fans would actually mark out for it and pop, which is fine. Fans will like what they want to like. I will not shit on the fans because they keep chanting that Hogan sucks. I will embrace you. 90s fans. Well done. Well played. The fact that you're going to put over a gimmick this camp. Yeah, I kind of begrudgingly got to give you props for that too. Now, Sting barely broke a sweat while Eaton jobbed out to him. He tapped out milliseconds after the sharpshooter. What? Oh, right. Sorry. The Scorpion Deathlock was applied. Post-match, Mean Gene comes into the ring to do a promo with Sting. Basically, the crux of that is that Sting's been the champ five times and he's going to make it six. Big pop from the crowd. We go to commercial. Coming back from commercial, there's a promo to buy the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view on VHS. Now, keep in mind, that pay-per-view happened some time ago. We've had World War III since then. But Halloween Havoc bombed. And it bombed hard. And they're having trouble moving the VHS. That, excuse me. Those are videotapes, by the way. You know, back how wrestlers, <laughs> wrestling fans used to watch stuff from other territories was ex- tapes exchange. If you ever listen to Corny... You'll understand what I'm talking about. Maybe you won't. It's hard to understand him some days. Anyways, trying to offset the huge losses from that pay-per-view, um, the creator of the Monster Truck nonsense comes out to cut a promo and to uh, escort his protege, the Giant, out with Jimmy Hart. Speaking of Kevin Sullivan, by the way. Now, the Giant defeats Randy Savage via DQ for the World Heavyweight Championship in 7 minutes, 30 seconds. Now, I know when I say that out loud, it sounds, oh, God, Dave's going to fucking take a shit on this one. Not so much, actually. Not not terribly. I mean, it wasn't awesome by the search of the imagination, but it wasn't that bad either. I, I Jesus, I feel like I'm going to get complaints emails, but I gave it three and a half out of five. It builds an awful lot of shit going on. All right. So the write up for this match is actually quite long. I'm going to try not to barrel through it and spend some time on some of this stuff. But an actual a lot of stuff actually happened. Within the span of 7.30. Now, keep in mind, last week's pay, like main event was almost twice this long, and half of this stuff happened there. So that should tell you exactly how hard wrestlers had to work in the 90s to get something over versus how wrestlers from back in the 70s and 80s had to work to get similar things over. But it is what it is. Now, the Bischoff-Hogan team of bookers are desperately trying to rekindle the Andre aspect of the Giants character. So his hair has been curled to make it stick out like Andre's afro used to. Now, during the match, of course, it slowly collapses, but goddamn, he looked like a Dick Tracy's villain at the first when he first comes out. Now, again, they could have at least given Savage an actual three-count pin victory at some point during his title reign, but he wouldn't get that. Instead, he gets non-title matches where he does get a pin, or he gets title matches where he gets clobbered that lead to a DQ. Again, I don't know why they've got to play up Macho being an undercard, like an underdog, but here we are again. All right, Jimmy Hart takes a bump from Savage running into the Giant. Not the worst bump he's ever taken, but it did get a decent bump from the crowd. Giant motions for the choke slam, and then picks up Savage in a bear hug. Macho was well known for trying to get Giant to work in his wheelhouse. So too often WCW bookers tried to get Giant to do things guys half his weight and size would do instead of playing up being a huge attraction like Andre was. Now, Savage would bark orders at him when he was in matches with them. And at the time, White hated it. In his book, he remembers looking back and wishing he'd paid more attention because Vince would shout the same shit at him backstage when he came to the WWE. 
Giant goes for a crossbody off the top rope and misses. See? Out of his wheelhouse. Savage got in his elbow, then Giant kicks out of the pin with authority. And by authority, I mean he launched fucking Macho like six feet into the air. Now, the pay-by-pay guys say 15, but, you know, it is what it is. Kayfabe must be maintained. Hogan, on probation, comes running out to the ring and waffles the Giant with a chair, then Sullivan, and then the ref, and then the bells ring. So it's a DQ, and the Giant wins because Hogan brought out the chair. Now... He gets a nice, legit pop for this. So, clears the ring. We go to commercials. After commercials, we're back in the ring with Mean Gene, Hogan, and Savage. Giant comes out of the back screaming, being held back by Sullivan and Sergeant Craig Pittman? What the fuck? Where are the other members of the dungeon? Anyways... Hogan runs up to the entrance, waffles the giant again, and Sullivan again with the chair. Now, all of these hits have been hard way hits. Everybody's taking Hogan chair shots right on the crown of their heads. Now, granted, that is the hardest part of the human skull. And granted, back in the 90s when people were just starting to take chair shots, that's what you did. But it's a far cry from today when people will put their hands up and slap the chair instead of letting it hit them in the head. I mean... A for effort, but Jesus Christ, that's a quick way to a fucking concussion. Now, Hogan gets back into the ring, reminds everybody in attendance and at home that his name is still on that belt. Now, don't forget, did a shoot promo like, what, three, four weeks ago where he mentioned that and Macho claimed to be getting it changed? I feel like maybe they're not spending the money to get it changed because they're tele... uh, Are they maybe throwing it out there that Hogan's going to get it back? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Now, he's pissed because he's not in the triangle match because he's on probation. And after tonight's shenanigans, he's probably suspended. Or is he? Macho puts over his match against Flair next week on the uh, on the next Nitro. Commentators wrap up the show, recapping what happened on this week's Nitro, promoting next week's Nitro. Now, normally that would be where this show ends. However... There was a little bit of interesting backstage shenanigans that happened this week in WCW history. I need to get a fucking promo for that. I need a little sweeper for that. This week. How about I just play a little bit of uh, Jim Cornette here? Hold on. You fucking Bucky Beaver motherfucker. Eh, It doesn't really make sense, does it? Eh, Well, we'll have to come up with something at some point, right? Now, Missy Hyatt's lawsuit against the WCW got settled out of court this week. Ted Turner was not a fan of lawsuits. So if you were asking for less than like a hundred grand, odds were good that it would get settled out of court. In this case, there was a racy picture in the WCW magazine that she took offense to because the write-up on the other page from the racy picture made her sound like a whore. She was, she is, should I say allegedly? I feel like I should throw that out there to protect myself. No, I mean like, it's not alleged she's fucking done shoot interviews. Yes, she she liked the boys, all right? But she also fancied herself an actual wrestling character. So she took exception whenever anyone would draw attention to the fact that she got passed around in the locker room a lot. So she filed lawsuit for defamation of character. They settled that, of court, and she won an undisclosed amount of money because apparently this was handled by Ted Turner personally and not by <laughs> the parent company or WCW or CNN, or anything else. It just came right out of Billionaire Ted's pocket. So that got to be hidden. Now, you'll see some dirt sheets out there claiming to know the exact dollar amount, but the fact of the matter is, 
I looked at the court documents. The dollar amount ain't in there. All right. I just did it. It just, that's just the fucking way it is. All right. I'm sorry. I, you know, I hate bursting bubbles of people. Well, actually, you know what? I really don't. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.